Hello and welcome to our first Medicine 360 podcast, which celebrates where the practice of medicine meets the arts. It's hosted today in Bristol by me, my name's Katie Hall, and I'm one of a team of people with a shared interest in the medical humanities. I work in the field of mental health, and so I am continuing to learn how people's innate creativity and resourcefulness is really something in which to be marvelled. Teaching us more about this today will be our first ever guest, Risa Mohabir, who I'm delighted to welcome in partnership with National Refugee Week. Risa is the founder and executive director of an organisation called Trauma Awareness. She has over 30 years experience in starting conversations about trauma with doctors and healthcare providers, both in the UK and abroad, as we'll see. She was listed by Bristol Women's Voice as one of the inspirational women of Bristol to mark International Women's Day in 2017. And I really think that you're, you're about to see why. Today I'll be speaking to Risa about the community listening projects which she has developed with refugee women here in Bristol and beyond. We'll hear how they as a group have discovered creative ways of finding meaning in their stories to make sense of them and have them finally witnessed by others. These groups of women have entrusted Risa to act as a voice for their voice and their stories and so you'll hear passages of their incredibly moving words throughout the podcast. Risa, welcome to the podcast. It's really great to have you and I am very much looking forward to hearing about uh, these creative endeavours with people who you know who've experienced these profound journeys. Uh, I just wanted to start off by asking you how you are. We're recording in a time of lockdown with the COVID-19 pandemic. So how are you today? Hello, Katie. Thank you for asking that. Yes, uh, it's certainly an extraordinary time. I live alone. And uh, that has been extremely challenging. And I've become a master of Zoom suddenly <laughs> as a result. Yeah. So uh, new skills have been learned. But I would say I'm very, very pleased when we're able to move more freely with each other again. And to meet again, absolutely. Um, I'm pleased, yes. pleased to hear that you're well. But as we say, it does, it does come with challenges for, for everybody. Risa, I've introduced a little about the about what the listening projects are, which you've done through the organisation that you founded, Trauma Awareness. Uh, can I start by asking what led you to setting up these listening projects? I think it's probably fair to say that in my own personal journey of trauma healing, actually led to developing the Trauma Awareness listening projects. And that process evolved over period of time while I was participating in ensemble theatre, storytelling, psychodrama, and then eventually producing short films. Uh, I think it's an important reminder that the creativity of the creative process of transforming stories are really important. And I think that set the scene for where I am now. So thank you for asking that question. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, and I'm sure that we'll all be struck by how you've gone on to apply these creative processes which have helped you as a, a resource that you've then offered to other people in a very, very meaningful way. Uh, and I know, Risa, that you've also worked in several different countries before moving to Bristol in 2011. Uh, has that helped to inform your perspective as well? 
Yes, certainly. Uh, and particularly in my period of time working in Serbia and Croatia, where I was training medical doctors and homeopaths. That was just after the, the uh, between 2000 and 2007, just after the end of the war. Um, and it was there I actually witnessed how civilians on both sides uh, really endured the full horrors of war, conflict, uh, neighbors becoming enemies, the significant loss of family members and its impact on the individuals and society. After that period of time, understandably, I needed a good rest and I took a break and I, I realized that one of the areas that needed that I personally needed to explore on, on a deeper level was the understanding of trauma. And that led me to the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute in New York, where I had two years of taking time out to, to work, uh, research, read, uh, study, and also at the same time work alongside theatre companies in New York. I then... Um, completed my studies and returned back to the UK here in Bristol at an important junction because uh, Bristol had become a city of sanctuary, welcoming refugees and create places to rest and recover because we had a large population of Somalis that came to Bristol. So that by the time I arrived in Bristol, it had changed so much after my travels, uh, where we have a population of 20,000 Somalis in the community. I think this is important because this leads on to what led me into the listening projects. Well, thank you for that. It's really nice to be able to contextualise all of this in your personal story as well, and and your story with with Bristol and the city that you know we're both we're both in now, albeit apart. Um, yes. And over the past few years, I know that you've worked with Somali refugee women in Bristol and also with Syrian women who were part of a, a resettlement scheme on the Isle of Bute, wasn't it? An island off the western coast of Scotland. I just wonder, how did you come to meet these women and begin collaborating with them? Yes, good question, isn't it? <laughs> My arrival in Bristol, um, the desire to sort of begin to understand the original quest, which was trying to understand the impact of war on civilians. And here I was in a city which had become a city of sanctuary. And very quickly, people responded to the, the, the project, which was on the impact of war on, on uh, civilians. Uh, and the one that we opened up, the first story was uh, impact of war of adult survivors, so who were children, it was called Through the Eyes of a Child. And this ensemble uh, group, we worked with the theatre director as well, and we created a, 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 a narrative prose ensemble production at the City Hall, Peace One Day, in 2013. So one of the participants uh, was Soad Ali, who is a, a Somali, Somali woman from Kuwait. Her presence and courage to tell her stories inspired Somali women who attended the event. And from that time, from that moment, they actually asked to uh, have their stories. They wanted to have their stories to be heard, which is extraordinary. And really started the whole beginnings of what we now know as our community listening project. Memories of our country. All the clans lived in harmony as a community. Every Friday we met 
men, women and children, to watch and take part in traditional dances, going to the national theatre and cinema. Let's hold on to our memories of peacetime. As a community, every Saturday, we went to the beach for picnics and rest. As a community, looking out for one another when a baby is born in Somalia, the neighbours looked after mother and child. We started on a cold winter's day in Bristol, uh, in a small, in a little sitting room in St Paul's, and the women shared together and cried together and listened to each other. But one of the express wish to participate in this in in this project with us was that they really wanted the community to understand why they came to the city, why they needed to find sanctuary here. When I began to understand the isolation of not being understood, I think that was probably when I realized we had we had a project that was waiting to to, to have a place in the city. My mother tongue, rich and full of wonders, words with rhythm, proverbs that express feelings and frustrations, joy and love. Here I am speaking in a foreign language, lost for words and in many ways so frustrated. Poems, poetries and songs keep my language and hope alive. Oh, my dear mother tongue. That then led on to the uh, refugee women of Bristol, Leila Ishmael, the development manager, recognizing uh, the changes that the women were experiencing from these projects. And she, uh, which was a great gift for me because the refugee women of Bristol are not just Somali women, obviously a wide range of uh, different nationalities. And so we formed some other projects, which uh, made we made films, animations, short films. We uncovered a hidden narrative on the, uh, the war wounds, which was about the disability caused by war bullet and shrapnel wounds. After that, um, the it had sort of got round that Watershed had heard about this project, and so I was invited as a grassroots project to debut the uh, the project, which was called a, a Life Journey: Impact of War on Women. And this was at the Watershed, and I'm very proud to say that we had. We were sold out in three days. I don't know why I have to keep telling people that, but I think it is. Shouldn't, it, it, it was astonishing, you know. Here we were from simple, suddenly in on a stage with drums and films and all done on a shoestring. I could, uh, it was quite amazing. I mean, inspiring, absolutely inspiring. And I, I like to say, I like to tell a story how I got to Butte to this point because, uh, you know, once the clapping had sort of, you know finished, uh, a woman tapped me on my shoulder and asked me had I considered going to the Isle of Butte. Didn't even know where it was. No. And uh, it turned out that she, her son was the interpreter for the Syrian women in on the island and they were the first arrivals as part of the UNHCR Syrian resettlement program. And that uh, 
can you imagine? This is an enormous privilege. These are the first arrivals that have come, and we're saying extremely vulnerable without going into details. I think you, the audience, anyone listening, can understand what we mean by that. Um, I'm very mindful not to use over-traumatizing language when I'm speaking to audiences because I don't know who's listening. Mm -hmm. So I'm quite sensitive about that. Um, so from, from then, it became quite a formal process of being interviewed with the UNHCR, the local government authority, um, and setting off as a producer-writer does into the unknown and landing on this island but I didn't go alone in spirit. I had the women from Refugee Women of Bristol had sent our films and our prose, narrative prose, and their, their blessings to the good wishes to their sisters, as they said, to urge them to take part. And that, that's quite wonderful. So the the uh, the Somali women from Bristol and like you say the the many other nationalities of women who were there they actually although they didn't know these Syrian women who'd arrived in in Butte they really related to their story and they sent their best wishes with you to take to, to the Isle of Butte yes. is that right yeah very touching really beautiful story yes. very beautiful these cultural considerations are so vital for building trust because that that is a sort of a, a very important part about what we probably have lost a little bit I would say in our culture mm. we don't have deeply entrenched unifying cultures so here we have a, a group of women because of the fact they were all from one faith which is they're Muslims so there's a deeper understanding and a connection beyond the borders of which country you're from mm. and they have a unifying experience of experiencing being refugees quite remarkable isn't it so I landed on the island with the good wishes, showed the films, and what did I hear again? The same as I heard from the previous women, that they are bursting with stories. Syria is like our mother. Home is the kingdom of women. We don't close our eyes. The images are always present. Forgive us. We have to force ourselves to forget these places. They want to take part in the project, primarily, actually, not so much on self-reflection, um, but more to help the community. This is a small island that have arrived on from Syria via Lebanon, and they want it to be understood. And from that project, we published Leaving Our Homeland, Syria to the Isle of Butte, I can vouch for the fact that it's a beautiful, a uh, beautiful piece of work with wonderful illustrations and, and quotes from the women as well. Thank you. Yes, uh, um, and and we also published uh, under the shade of a tree. Somali women speak. So the two, the two are the beginnings of a collection. Is the idea um, a collection of stories uh, on the impact of war? Why choose women? People ask me. It's pretty understandable. They're ha 50% of refugees are women, and majority of women's voices are not heard. They're just hidden. Uh, so that's that's the purpose, and we wanted to give them a place in our society to be heard. I'm struck by that phrase that you recounted, Risa, we are bursting with stories that you, you said applies to both and, and all groups. It's so evocative. 
And some of these stories are incredibly painful, containing memories of wars and conflicts that the women have endured. And I understand that many of them haven't shared their experiences before, even with their family members. I just wonder, how did you gain their trust so that they felt able to allow you to know what what happened to them? I think it's fair to say that trust is not a given. Uh, But there's much more process, which I think I alluded to earlier, that it's really a process of respecting cultural considerations. Uh, And that I experienced with both groups, the Somali refugee women of Bristol and also the Syrian women in uh, cultures. And one common feature was of their Muslim faith and how to understand how do they work with their trauma. Because... Incidentally, I'm not of the, of the Muslim faith, so just to help to, to, to put that in context. But um, what I recognize is that the women were much more at ease with that sort of sense of sitting in circles, that sort of collaborative listening to each other, remembering together. I also found, again, and I think it's really helpful that I have two contrasting then and now women who've been journeying since 1980 arriving and now newcomers are more or less staying the same without a shadow of doubt. They took part in this project. And it's no disrespect to you as a psychiatrist, but it's um it's they really they didn't want to be labeled that it had was a mental health issue. In fact it's a stigma. Uh it's actually considered a stigma and a great fear in their community, a fear that their children would be taken away or they would be taken away. Uh, and so any any hint that they could be struggling would have been, um, uh, would they would not have participated in this. Uh, and uh, and uh, I, I'm proud to say that earning their trust to take us to write what they've written, as you can remember in the books, the lines are terribly powerful. Mother and child. As a mother, I had to keep strong for the children, to keep the homesick feelings inside, not to let the children see my sadness. I used to ask, why is every door closed? Where are the people? Only an umbrella, coat and head down. I used to think, no one knows Fatima, only the postman. That's loneliness. I prayed to Allah to keep my faith strong. I would be lost if I went down. Everything would collapse. Many years later, what goes around comes around. Listening to new arrivals, asylum seekers, translating in Arabic and Somali. Speaking from the heart, we are all human beings beyond nation, creed, color or religion. We are all of the same humanity. Given your experience in community listening, are there any other insights you'd like to share about facilitating the emergence of these important narratives and how to create a, a, a kind of a sense of safety around that? Um, well, I, I think implicit in safe listening, it's really important that for me, um, it's setting, setting a, a very safe space uh, that that's absolutely vital for anyone who wants to work with narrative therapy or narrative listening. And 
And that finding a place in the circle for women to remember together and listen together. And I'd like to pay tribute to Richard Malika, the uh, psychiatrist who's wisely advises in his book, Healing Invisible Wounds. Uh, let's take an extract. It's, uh, if we go too directly, it's like looking at the blinding sun. Instead, to assist the storyteller, a little bit, a lot over a period of time. And I think why I use that quote is that it's, it's not necessarily the quantity. It's just that qualitative moment, capturing a moment. And it's enough. It's always just enough. So that's one of the greatest lessons you can, we can learn in, in listening to stories. And, and I think that has been demonstrated in the books. Two or three lines could be just as powerful as a, as a whole page. We haven't spoken to each other about our stories. It's too painful to share. Everything you could imagine has happened. Well, thank you for that. I think we can all really learn from that. I'm thinking especially in my line of work. So so thank you for your insights. Uh, and talking about, about these ways of working that we can all draw from, I, I can see that you've used creativity in so many different forms to allow this process of, of witnessing, which many of the women have described as, as finding very healing. As part of this, the stories have been shared with a wide range of audiences using short videos and, and spoken word, is that right? Uh, book readings and theatre performances. I wondered what the response has been like overall. I would say the response has been, um, well, right from the, from the moment that we, we stepped onto that stage back in 2016, um, it's, we were sort of urged... I think I would say that we the feedback really urged our project forward uh, to to get more daring to address these hidden narratives and to be willing to to communicate them. Um, and and I think I think it's a two way process that the audiences responded to and, and gave a really really welcomed the sort of traditional. Uh, ways of communicating through the drumming and the singing that's an ensemble theater so that led that led to a number of performances on in two two on international women's day in different years I, i'm delighted i can't believe that we were then led into uh, uh readings uh world of wars at womad um film festivals uh, library readings, a book in every library in this in Bristol schools, yeah, pretty good, uh, <laughs> pretty impressive because we only started, uh, we started with just literally a, a huge desire for us to be listened to. What keeps me going? The sadness is not forgotten. Suddenly leaving my homeland. Remembering the journey and hard times that we went through. Faith makes me hopeful, starting over again. I keep going to learn a new life, a new language, a new culture. Thank you. 
Finally, Risa, to finish off, I wanted to uh, make reference again to the context really in which we're recording this podcast, which is during a pandemic. Uh, I wonder, has this emerging situation prompted any new thoughts for you about how your important work might continue to take shape? Uh, Without a doubt, Katie, I've already realised that the process of isolation for myself, the very fact that this is a global collective trauma for many of us uh, on lots and lots of levels. The, the, the levels are far and wide and far and um, and just my conversations within the, with my friends, my families, uh, colleagues, there is not one person that has been untouched. But the one common feature for me would be that I sense that the listening project has a, uh, has found a place as a community listening project, and let's have time to go back and reflect. and And who knows for how long we have to endure this? But as with fresh, uh, freshly experienced together as a group, uh, let's just start sharing our wisdoms, our insights, our fears. And I always like to uh, ask each person what helps us to go keep going. I think that's quite important. The women in the previous workshops have always appreciated that question because it, it leaves one with a sense of touching into one's own resources and what helps us. And I think there's lots to learn, lots to have for the future. And I wonder if that's a, a pertinent place to end, really, like you say, going back to the women and to the voice of the women. There, there's a beautiful passage about, I think it's uh, from the Somali women, about their their hopes for, for sharing their narratives. I wonder whether you would uh, share that with us, really, to, to kind of leave the last, last words with them today. Yes, I will. Thank you. Uh, it's hope. We hope other refugee women will open up and talk, will come out of their houses. We hope others will know what has happened to us and all women in war. We hope to break the barriers, to stop being asked, when are you going back? We have peace, we have life. This is a story with no full stop until war ends. Well, Risa, thank you so much again for sharing this important work with us, which I'm sure so many people will find really inspirational. I hope that when we can all meet face-to-face again uh, and, and run the Medical Humanities Festival in Bristol, we'll be able to hear more about the development of these wonderful community projects and the voices of these, these amazing people. Uh, so thank you again. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for listening to the first of these Medicine 360 podcasts. From the team here, we wish you all well until the next time.